Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 691st episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson with Urban Farm U, and I'm here tonight with Bill McDormand. Hello, Bill. Hello, Greg. As always, it's an honor to be here. I love it, and it's so much fun playing with you, so I appreciate that. We are here for our monthly seed chat, and tonight we are talking seed harvesting. And so let me just read what uh, Janice and Bell wrote for us to kind of launch. Remember, if you're going to, uh, if you're here for the live event, please put your questions in the Q&A. Also, let us know you're here in the chat, so maybe where you're listening in from. That way we'll know whether the chat is working or not and that you guys can hear me. All right. Before you know it, all your crops will be going to seed. Rather than deadhead and clean up everything, learn how to be your own seed detective. I like that. Good job, Janice. What are the characteristics of the plants from which you should be saving seeds? How do you decide when and how to harvest seeds? What are some simple strategies that can be applied to most plants when saving for seed? And what are the benefits from saving your own locally cultivated and adaptive seeds? Welcome, Bill. Oh, yes, welcome. You. I'm here. I think you can hear me now. Yes, yes, we can. We've gotten really deep into the last thing you brought up there about the all the benefits yeah. of saving your own locally adapted seeds. And so, but that's really an important part of this. And so why don't, why don't you I've, cover that a little bit? Well, what I want to say is that people should ask questions tonight if you can. This yeah. is a really, really important part of what goes on. And this is where really harvesting your seeds and cleaning them is where the craft, as I often call it, of seed saving comes about. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean you can't just read how to do it or go to a class. That there's, you know, you've got your hands involved. Mm -hmm. Practice. And you'll figure out your own techniques. And throughout history, humans have figured out unbelievable amount of creative techniques to save themselves time, to do it better. And so that's where your questions come in. How can we help you down your path to be a better seed harvester and saver? Mm -hmm. And as far as the benefits, they're unlimited. 
First of all, there are seed shortages worldwide. We can't, we don't have assured We've supplies. That, right? You know, supply lines are being um, shortened. Even organic seeds are being contract grown for American companies in China. Here we are in America thinking that we're starting the sustainable, you know, resilient right. food system movement and our seeds are coming from China. Like how long is that going to last? But more than that, they can just learn to live where you live and be better. They can learn to perform what you want them to do exactly by saving the ones that have done that and do so with fewer inputs. They can get mm -hmm. used to the stresses of your environment. And so that's the best, you know, so there's nothing like it. If you can always get your seeds as close to your backyard garden as you can, that should be your rule of thumb. So if you don't grow and save your own seeds, ask your neighbors. And if your neighbors don't, go down to a local seed library or seed exchange and work your way out. If you see something that's growing on the other side of the world that's just mind-blowingly diverse and weird and wonderful that you want, go get it. Bring as much diversity into your yard as you can, but generally try to get your seeds as close as you can. As close to you as possible. Yeah. As close as possible. Well, and, and when you can't, visit greatamericanseedup.org, yeah. stock up on seeds, start growing your own, and start sharing them. Because th that's one of the things that I've talked about for years is that this whole notion of lack, there's only one place that lack lives is between our ears. Because when I look at the massive abundance of seeds that comes out of nature and of fruit that comes out of nature and food that comes out of nature, it's just, it's almost mind blowing. Well, and if you're, if you, if you do have to look for, to buy your seeds and you're looking outside and you want general directions, you know, open pollinated or non-hybrid is a nice mm -hmm. place to start. If you're a beginner, especially, you can save seeds from hybrids. We talk about this. We actually teach people to do it, but it's more complicated. So start with your open pollinated. And as a class, what you want to find in the open pollinated are land races. These are, you know, mm. diverse and adapted to your region varieties of things. Some mm -hmm. of them are adapted to the whole country. They have been in the past, things like black seeded Simpson lettuce and scarlet nonce carrots, you know, and you see those in all the seed catalogs. And those are great places to start. And then save seeds from the ones that work best in your yard, yeah. for the characteristics that you like, and you're started down the right path. What kind of characteristics are we talking about? Well, it's up, you know, that's subjective for a lot of people. You know, some people want their oh. lettuce early. Some people don't want it to bolt and they want it late. Some people, yeah. big green leaves, small little butterhead heads, whatever, you know, turns you on. You know, my friend Joseph, our friend Joseph Lofthouse is always mm -hmm. looking for weird and different. That's what interests him, you know. Well, and one of the things that Joseph does is he just puts all the seeds in a bag and goes and spreads them, right? Right. He doesn't keep track of variety names anymore. He's just looking for things that he can eat that he likes that work where he is. Yeah. So somebody was asking him about how many greenhouses he has to start his tomatoes. And he goes, I don't have greenhouses. Although I think he does now. Someone gave him one. But he said, you know, I don't have time for that stuff. So I'm, I plant my tomatoes outside after all the frost. Mm. And I only save seeds from the plants that make tomatoes for well. me. Yeah. Make them adapt to where I am. And that's sort of his general rule. He's got squash. He only harvests squash that he eats in a single meal. Once that slice open is winter squash that will store for a long time, but only slice easily. You know, if you've had those winter squashes, some of you practically have to get an axe 
you know, to get through the hours. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he says, no, man, I'm going to cut myself or whatever. So he only saves seeds to the ones that cut easily. How's that for a characteristic? Personal size winter squash cuts open easily. It gives you some ideas about how far you can stretch this whole idea of what you want. I would have never thought of that, but that's a good idea. So uh, Janice, I pinged Janice a minute ago, and the chat is turned back on so y'all can chat. And you can chat with each other. And also, please send us your questions. Yeah, this is your chance. If you, you know, there are seeds probably in your garden right now or your backyard. Almost everybody in the country has something that's bolted, gone to seed or whatever. And so get started. (laughs) You know, even here at 8,800 feet, the bok choy that was grown this year, it's going to seed. So interesting. Nice. You know, and what you want to do is let it dry out as much as possible on the plant before it, what they call dehists. Dehist is the technical term for the pod opening up and allowing the seeds to escape. You know, when we, when we first arrived here in Asheville, I was in our front yard. This was in April and early May. And I was pulling some plants that I knew were weeds the, you know, grass and that kind of stuff out of the front garden bed. And I bumped up against this one small plant. It was about the size of a softball. And when I bumped up against it, it, it sprung seeds everywhere. (laughs) Dehist. Yeah, exactly. And so plants have evolved. Some plants have evolved to actually spring seeds away, right? Oh yeah. The geranium family. The cranes bills are notorious for that. They have little catapults on them or yeah. like the fireweed, the epilobium that you find up in the hills here in Colorado. Um, you barely touch a dry pod and mm-hmm. the whole thing unfolds with, it uh, looks like a million little parachutes that fluff up wow. and float away. And at the base of each of those parachutes is a little tiny seed. In fact, mm-hmm. there's a million firewood seeds in a pound of seed. What? I bought a pound. I bought a pound one time, 1.1 million seeds. Wow. And we planted them for a very wealthy lady. She wanted them in a landscape and not one of them worked. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, And we, and I found out later that there has to be a fire before they germinate. She just never had a fire on her property. Oh. And so seeds are crap. The wildflower seeds can be crafty that way. And again, this is what we're talking about tonight. Craft. You know, how do you collect wild, how do you collect um, fireweed seeds? A friend of mine got a whole parachute full of those fluff parachutes from fireweed, a whole pair, literally a parachute. Uh And then when he got done, he had less than a pound of seed. Ran him through a special machine he built. It's easier to save your own carrot seeds. (laughs) Right, exactly. Or your own cantaloupe and squash seeds. Jewel says, ooh, how do you wash the gunk off of cantaloupe and squash seeds? Let them dry dry them. Hold on. And dry them without them sticking to the paper towel. Well, paper towels will stick to everything. So maybe that's not a good idea. Piece of cardboard. But let them, you know, rinse them as well as you can. I do in a strainer. But there's always some of the stuff on it. So then just let that, let it dry. And then you can rub that. That stuff will all flake off Mm -hmm. after. So it's just a matter of sequence. Could you wet process them? You can. And squash and melon seeds are often done that way. And they're done that way for disease resistance. So what Greg and I are talking about is uh, putting them in water and letting it ferment 
for three or four days. And what happens is the yeast, it's, you know, which is actually carried with the seeds, starts to multiply. And that'll eat all that gunk off the seeds. And the good seeds will settle to the bottom and all the fluff and the, the gooey stuff will float to the top. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for small scale, it just doesn't seem to be worth that for me anymore. I just uh -huh. dry them. I just spread them out and I do them. Now you can buy germination paper, which is paper towels uh -huh. that have been designed so the seeds won't stick to them. Paper towels really aren't, you know, they're rough. And so there's fibers, I guess, that get in there and stick. So that's kind yeah. of hard. So a piece of cardboard, cardboard box, little one, something like that might be a better place. Yeah, this is the crap. Maybe somebody has a better way and they can write it in for us. Right. So Terry says, I use coffee filters to dry squash and melon on. Bing, and, bing, 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 bing. Yeah, that's Penn, a good idea. Penn Parmenter up at Penn, Miss Penn's Seeds up in the high country of Colorado does the same thing. Yeah. Well, and if you buy germination paper, and I used to buy big boxes of it, it looks like coffee filter paper. <laughs> uh, it probably is. All right. Bonnie says, I've noticed chicory blooming nearby. Do you know how long the flower blooming to harvestable seeds is? I uh, guess two weeks. So it's in the sunflower family. Oh, interesting. All and right. so it's a composite. By that, there's a, a disc. And on the disc will be lots of little seeds. And then the flowers come out of that disc. And there's two kinds of flowers. There's disc flowers and ray flowers. And so you just have to wait until all the blossoms are gone and it starts to dry out. If you can, if you're really worried about it, once all the blossoms are gone, you could actually pull the whole plant probably and put it in a safe place and let it finish drying. They don't, they're not real, what I would call fragile. In other words, once they start to dry, even if some of the seeds start falling off because of weather, somebody bumps them or an insect gets in there, you'll still have some of them there. And so, you know, you probably have two weeks until they start to be ready for seed. And then two more, you could actually go out and get the seeds. Terry wants to know, my parsley over, uh, wintered over without protection in zone five. So I was going to save seeds from it. Any tips? First of all, that's awesome. You're the parsley. You've had parsley in your yard, haven't you, Greg? Oh, yeah. Parsley, well, my yard in Phoenix, parsley grows wild in my yard in Phoenix. Basically, what I did with it is I, ju I just let it go to seed all the way to seed. And then I grabbed the seed heads when they were dry and harvested them that way. You know, it's like super simple. And again, it's not that fragile. Right. You'll lose some, but you don't really lose them, do you? Because those mm -hmm. are the ones that keep coming back every year in your garden. And so, you know, the easiest way to save seeds to these things, if you live in somewhat of a milder climate, is just to let them go to seed and reseed themselves. Right. But, and then as you can, without stressing about it, during that period when you see some of the dried seeds on there, go out and get some. I mean, how many do you need? One parsley plant would have enough parsley seeds for the rest of your life. Right. Right. Yeah. So maybe you're doing it for your friends and your seed exchange or library, whatever you're doing. So, yeah, exactly. Number one advice. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, that's been we've been working together now for over a decade. And that's one of the big things that I've taken away from all of our conversations is there's nothing to worry about. There's no way to do it wrong, really. I mean, if you cook your seeds, that's, you know, that's one thing. But other than that, yeah. play. 
Well, I think one of the things we've forgotten is that we're human beings. Mm -hmm. And we're actually pretty smart. And if we make mistakes, we learn from them. The, the most important thing is to go out and get started yeah. doing it. Realize that there's flowers and every flower produces seeds. And you don't even have to know what they look like to start to gather them or to take advantage of those that actually just dehisce on their own and replant themselves. Right. So go out and start watching and becoming part of the process. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed when I was doing that at the urban farm in Phoenix is that I just let things go to seed and I spread the seeds and let them go to seed and I spread the seeds. And the ones that came up were much more resilient. Often we find volunteers. I, I was listening to a podcast recently. I think it was with Joseph Lofthouse on Gardener podcast. And he said that the best seeds are the ones that just come back year after year in yeah. your, in your garden, you know, yeah. the best plants. So, right. Well, if you, you know, they learn, we know because <laughs> of epigenetics that they can mm -hmm. actually change themselves during the year. They can roll up DNA and express DNA without changing their DNA. They're just rolling up the expressions of it Yeah. and, and making hormonal and enzymatic changes in themselves to say weather 115 degree heat, which is what it was in Phoenix uh, this week. Right. So if a plant goes through that and it changes itself, we know now that it can pass on all those changes in the seeds that year. doesn't matter if it was pollinated from someone else or who the daddy is or whatever. They all went through that process. And that's why, you know, we have a scientific explanation now for why those seeds are better. You know, so if you get parsley seed and you live in Phoenix and it's 115 and your parsley seed came from somewhere else, Washington, eastern uh, Idaho or western Washington, where a lot of the parsley seed is grown, mm -hmm. it has no idea how to get through your weather there in Phoenix. But if you have saved your own seeds, it already does. Yeah. Well, and some of those parsley seeds from Washington will make it. And then those are the ones you want to save and share. What a system. Right. You mean I don't have to worry? <laughs> yeah, I precisely, precisely. Bonnie wants to know if we're allowed to collect seeds from national or state parks. No, state parks and, and national parks, no. Usually you can't even get permission. National forest land and BLM land, you can. Ah, okay, good. And when I got started, there were no rules and nobody even cared about it. As long as you were doing it for personal use. Right. If you're doing it for commercial use, you fall into a different category. Mm -hmm. But for pers personal use, you can do it. Now, some forests in the last 10 years or so have implemented rules around personal gathering of seeds. So just check with a local ranger station or a BLM office. And, and honestly, that's the vast majority. That's 98% of public land in America are not in a national park or a state park. Right. Those, you know, as I read in the New York Times last week, they're being loved to death anyway. Way too many people go into our state and national parks oh, right. for their own good. And yeah. so maybe we don't want to anyway. And I'll just add one other thing. In almost no cases, you know, I, it would be hard for me to think of a case where going out on public lands and digging up a plant that you like and bringing it home worked. In every case, they die anyway. So just mm. get that idea out of your head. 
Gathering seeds is a much better thing. Yeah. And again, I'll answer any questions you have about specific wildflowers or what to do or when. And it's, that can be a great hobby. And I did it for 30 years and I loved it. And I'm still doing it. That's what I'm doing here in Colorado. Nice. So, so uh, have at it, but get permission if you can. How do you decide when and how to harvest seeds? You harvest them when they tell you they're ready. And if, as I said before, if you don't know how to recognize all the plants in your garden in the seed stage, mm -hmm. you just haven't been paying attention because yeah. they'll all show you this year. And they usually end up with a dry, some sort of appendage or dry thing that has the seeds in them or on them. And how they do that is how we characterize them botanically. Some mm -hmm. are in the parsley family. They have little umbrellas with the seeds on top. Umbelliferas. Or the brassica family, which have little what they call um, silicles and siliques, which are either long little pods or round ones that are filled full of little round brown seeds. Or they're in the chard or beet family, which have these long spindly things that grow up out of the top that have little, you know, what do they look like stickers almost on the mm -hmm. ends. And those are each little five packs of seeds. So, and then the rest of them, you know, peas and beans, the seeds are the peas and beans. We know what the seeds look like in tomatoes and peppers. You can see them, right? Mm -hmm. And same with squash and melon. So, you know, it's just, just start looking around a little bit. And you want, if, and if you've got a fruit like a tomato or pepper, let them ripen as long as they can before you start to collect your seeds. They'll work sometimes, even when they're green. Mm -hmm. So you can make mistakes like that. But if you can let them mature, you'll get more good seed out of them. Those are just general rules to answer your yeah. question. Um, you didn't mention lettuce and how lettuce goes to seed. We, we actually collected a fair amount of lettuce seed from the urban farm before we headed out. I am so excited about lettuce seed now. I'm trying to find lettuce that grows in my garden in Arizona. And so this year I spent over $200 buying seed. And I'm the guy that tells people never buy seed. And it's the only time I've purchased seed probably in the last, since I own my seed company, you know, for myself. And I did mm -hmm. it because I wanted, and I mixed them all together. As soon as I got them, I mixed all the seeds together, like Joseph Lofthouse says to do. So I didn't have to worry about it. I got like 30 varieties. And then I just planted them out and let them come, come up. And so I've got all sorts of different sizes, shapes, and colors of lettuce. And so I've been picking leaves off the outside and eating lettuce now for about three weeks in my garden. Thank you. And, and now it's starting to grow tall yeah. and the leaves start to get bitter. And a little bit of bitter is okay, so I'm still eating them. But then they'll throw up a seed stalk and they were, they're also in the sunflower family, actually. And they'll throw up a big tall stalk. It'll have yellow flowers and those will turn into little yellow, uh, little parachutes. And those are the seeds. And so you never see too many of the flowers on a stock at one time that are actually parachutes ready to collect. So what I do is I've got a bag. I call it Lettuce Grex 2022. And every day I go out to my garden now, Greg, I take my paper bag and I open it up and I bend over the flowering lettuce stalk into my bag and shake it a little. And all the seeds that are ready fall off yep. into the bag. And I go down the row and I get all the ones. And then I do that the next day and the next day and the next day. And I'll be doing that for three or four weeks. And that way I get the seeds as they come. That's, I'm doing that the first year. I'm getting them all. I'm not selecting which ones I want. I want to see what just survives in my, in my backyard. And then next right. year I'll pay closer attention to the kinds I'm saving. 
So Deb has a great question. Thanks for this, Deb. Any tips for identifying different varieties when you mix them all together? You mean identifying them afterwards? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, depending, you could always try to deconstruct it if you want to. But that's not the point. Yeah. You know, as Joseph would say, why? What you're looking for is the best lettuce for your garden, for what you yeah. want. So I'm going to have Bill's lettuce Grex mix. And it'll always be a mix. I, I don't care to get down to varieties anymore. And if I share them, I'm not involved in commercial. I don't care about it commercially. I'm beyond that in my life now. So, but sharing at my local seed library, mm -hmm. that's, you know, little packets of Bill's lettuce, Cornville lettuce Grex, and you live in Cornville, and he's been saving it now for years. I mean, there's nothing better. Then they can maybe try to figure out what the varieties are. Somebody else wants to do that. Or as, or as Joseph, I think, said to me one time, with almost a smirk, he said, Bill, that's what universities are for. <laughs> nice. Well, and the whole point is to get, in your case, the 30 varieties of lettuce cross-pollinating and making right. something different, right? Right. Let yeah. them go. Lettuce is largely self-pollinating. But yeah, I'm hoping. What I want is lettuce that works for me. That's all. Yeah. You know, 10,000-year journey. You know, we know 4,000 years ago, the Egyptians are the ones that really saved lettuce from a bitter alley weed into something they could eat there's there's a carvings of romaine on the pyramids you know and they did that why not to come up with variety names or to be able to patent them they did it because they liked it and yeah. so i'm just continuing their tradition on nice. somebody else wants to you know industrialize it and figure out what names are and and keep track of that stuff they can do that but i don't have the patience to do it anymore I'm just, no, I, I have uh, lots of patience and lots of energy to do it. But instead of trying to um, winnow down the different lettuce varieties and put them in categories and names and varieties and keep everything straight so that breeds true, I've got to go do my beans. I still have to do summer squash. No. I've got all these Grex adventures to go on. I, in my career, I've got hundreds of varieties of things in boxes, and now I'm mixing them all together so I can see what works for me right now. You keep using the word Grex. What does that mean? Uh, it's, it's a word that I started using after um, I saw a little video with Alan Capular, who's one of the famous movers and shakers in the heirloom seed movement starting in the late 60s, early 70s. And he was a rocket scientist, literally, nuclear <laughs> scientist. And he went home to, moved home to Eugene, Oregon in the 70s and started a, a seed company called Peace Seeds. And now his daughter runs Peace Seedlings. So if you want access to his genetic material, and he was a real pioneer in this, throw out the categories that aren't working for you and just believe in your own self and your own seed saving. So what he learned to do was he started experimenting with mixing three different varieties together. And he started with one of his uh, great successes were beets. I, I think he started with onions. And so he had an old heirloom landrace onion that was just incredible. And he had a new hybrid onion that somebody was claiming had all this disease resistance. And then he had a, a favorite that had been working in his garden for a long time. It had that adaptability. So uh -huh. he said... Let's see what happens if we mix them all together. And he called that a Grex, uh -huh. a mix of three things or more together. 
And, nice. and I saw pictures of what came out of that Grex. They all cross-pollinated. And there were little onions, big ones, red ones, pink ones, yellow ones, white ones, all this diversity. And he was so mm -hmm. happy. And then he started saving seeds from the ones that he really liked for his yard. And that generally explains what I'm trying to do with lettuce and these other things. Only I started with more varieties than that. All right. So Annette says, can you save weed seeds like wild lettuce? Oh, yeah. You can. Every yeah. flowering plant produces seeds. And you can save them. One time I gave seeds in wallflower way up high in the mountains of Idaho, and I was with a bunch of botany, Idaho Native Plant Society people. And I grabbed this plant, and I, and it, they had kind of long pods and little black shiny seeds. And I bent it over into my bag, and they all poured out into my bag. And I was really happy. I felt like a treasure. And I folded the bag over, and I put a question mark on it. <laughs> and somebody said, what are you doing? I said, well, I have no idea what this plant is. I didn't see it when it was flowering. That was oh, right. a month ago. I just, there's seeds here. And they said, well, you can't save things from things you don't know. And I said, watch me. So literally what I did was I went home and planted it right uh -huh. then in my yard. And it took three years. The first year it didn't come up at all. Second year after a long winter and it needed stratification. We could explain that it came up. It was mm -hmm. a little plant, didn't flower the first year. That next year it finally flowered. And then I could ID it. So that taught me that you don't need to know the ID on the cycle through its life. Yeah. You're, you're just grabbing seeds from things that have flowered. Anytime, no. wherever you are, I uh, gathered plantain seeds in the sidewalk, literally mm. on Fifth Avenue in New York City. Oh, wow. Why? Because it was adapted to sidewalks in New York City. And plantain's a medicinal plant, and I wanted some. You know, nice. so, you know, be creative. Well, and there's an app. It's called, it's called Seek. See that one oh, there? Yeah. 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 There's an app called Seek. It's the National Geographic Plant and Bug Identifier. And Heidi and I went on a walk yesterday at the Asheville Botanical Garden. Good and I just pulled out, I pulled it out and I started identifying things. And it, it actually was better than I thought it would be. Right. Well, both things are like artificial intelligence. The more people use them, yeah. the more intelligent they get. they more refined. I use um, iNat. It's called I-N-A-T. Uh -huh. iNaturalist. A mm. lot of people use that, and they use it for small animals and birds also. Bonnie wants to know if there's a good book or other resource that covers the history of seed saving, like the story of the Egyptians that you mentioned. There are a couple of scholarly attempts to scan the world's literature mm -hmm. around heirloom varieties of things and write books. And I'll think of the uh, gentleman's name. There's a rather William Woyes Weaver, who also introduced the fish pepper. Anybody's heard of that? That was his father's pepper. Fish William pepper? Yeah, fish pepper. Famous. I'm surprised you haven't been served the fish pepper in Asheville. Greg, I'm absolutely shocked. Uh, well, I haven't been gentrified like that yet. There you go. <laughs> Maybe somebody can pull up the name. William Royce Weaver wrote a really great book about the stories of, of uh, some of the seeds. And then I just got a notice today about a new book from uh, Chelsea Green 
called the Seed Detective. Ooh. Which portends to do what you just asked. Find the stories behind a lot of the things, the vegetables we eat and the varieties that are famous. I have not read it, but I just remember reading about that today. So great. I just put the William Woys Weaver link from his website on the chat. Ooh. There it is. There it is. Let's see here. Kay Butler says, I am just starting my seed saving journey. Congratulations. You are in for fun. What is the best variety or family of plants to start learning with? Your favorite vegetable. Whatever you love is the best place to start. For 85% of the gardeners in the country, that's tomatoes. And tomatoes are largely self-pollinating. So you can just save seeds from whatever tomato. It doesn't matter if you're growing other tomatoes or your neighbors are growing tomatoes. Uh, Generally, they won't cross-pollinate. So you can kind of keep things straight in your mind and get what you're, you know, you planted. So yeah, tomato and tomatoes are easy. Mm -hmm. When you get it, pick a ripe tomato, cut it at the equator, squish the jelly out with the seeds into a jar. Do several if you can. Let it sit for a few days till the good seeds settle to the bottom and the goopy stuff flies to the top, usually accompanied by a bread mold that'll form on the top. That's Mm -hmm. when you know you're ready. Rinse them well. You can water winnow them. In other words, fill your jar up with water and the good seeds will be on the bottom. So carefully pour everything else out until you get down to the seeds and then fill it up with water again and do that again. And then pour those seeds out on a coffee filter. There you go. (laughs) Write down the name and the date, including the year, and let them dry for a few days and you'll have your tomato seeds. So there you go. You just took a basic seed saving class in your favorite seed. They're that simple. Judith wants to know, the birds leave some seeds alone? You know, the opposite happens out here. Birds have the ability to not um, feel or be affected by capsaicin. Mm-hmm. Capsaicin is the stuff that makes peppers hot. Yeah. So the original peppers were all really hot. So animals, everything would leave them alone except for birds would eat the peppers. Well, and, but that and, was good because they were taking the seeds and they were spreading them. And somebody still to this day, you'll, you'll read folk um, things about how you should mix your pepper seeds in with a little bit of manure before you plant them, because that mimics what they went through. Oh, <laughs> right. A bird gut before yeah. they were planted. So, yeah. Jewel says, if the seeds fall on the ground, is there any reason that you can't pick them up and keep them? No. No. Do you it. Keep Cool, dark, and dry, so clean them off if you can. Make sure they're not wet. Yeah. Remember, each one is a living, breathing embryo. Inside each seed are millions of more. Mm-hmm. A total self-replicating system with artificial intelligence that allows it to adapt to its own env- environment. So if you see a seed on the ground, grab it. <laughs> it's magic. Yeah. Let's see, we've got a question here. Best PHXJS says best media to save seeds in, paper, glass, plastic? Clay. Okay. I, you know, you is there best? Cool, dark, and dry is what you want. Oh, and you know what I heard about today, Greg? And mm. I'll send you an email about this, but I just uh, got an email from UC Davis. Uh-huh. 
the great plant people, the plant people there, they've developed what they call a dry card. And it's the same size as a business card. And they found a material they can put on the card that will turn different colors depending on what the humidity is. And they made these oh. to put in with your seeds. So you can oh. visually see if it's dry enough for storage. How cool is that? That is epic. They're a dollar thirty-four each. How many do you want me to order? Yeah, we should have them available at uh, Great American Seed Up as well. Well, that's we'll do that. I'll uh, write to him today, and we'll get some underway. Check the Great American Seed Up within a couple of weeks. You'll probably see a link on the site to order them. How's that? Oh my God, uh, so Jules that's says. That's the most important thing. If you put them in glass and put them in a freezer, mm-hmm. as we say, wait for that glass jar to warm up. Yeah before you open it. Otherwise, all the air condenses on the inside and gets them wet, so. Yeah. <laughs> Jewel said before, I think before you answered, you said, she said, he'll say clay pots. <laughs> nice, good job, Jewel. Think about it. All of our food was once wild seeds. Yeah. Somehow they had learned how to store themselves, right? They had survived a millions, billions of years or whatever in the whole evolution. So the, that's not what we call food these days. All of our food crops are significantly different. Squash, beans, tomatoes, peppers. Those have evolved, co-evolved with us. But what did we do to store them? My guess is that 99.9% of all the seeds that have ever been stored in the last 10,000 years of human history were stored in clay. Yeah. And that's why I say that all over the world, people's learned that their clay pots pots are. And so the seeds evolved learning how to be stored. The ones that worked were the ones that worked well in clay. That's a real simple idea. Carol wants to know, please repeat that item you were discussing about seed storage. What is that? Uh, They're called dry cards. And so I will, um, they've just been developed by UC Davis. It took me a while to find the department and the people inside UC Davis to write to them and ask. And I finally found a guy who said, tell me how many you want, we'll invoice you. (laughs) Wow. And and they have different prices for for for-profit entities and nonprofits. Nice. I think they're $1.84 each and $1.34 for nonprofits. Basically, it's a card that goes in with your seeds that tells you how much moisture is in there. Right. Interesting. they found a chemical they can paint on the card that turns colors with each different humidity. And so you just look in and see what color this stripe is. And mm-hmm. then you know what, and, and it's all written on the card. It's like having a little thermometer thing on your. Nice. Nice. Bonnie says, how do you safely process true potato seed? She says she's heard that they are poisonous. No. You know, the whole nightshade family's poisonous and potatoes are in the nightshade family yeah they actually so, have so they, have, they actually have something in them called lectins right. and dan one of my permaculture teachers says lectins are anti-nutrients so they're yeah but we selected you know and it was in a, a peru is <laughs> the genetic center for potatoes thousands of different varieties and colors with that don't have as much of that or have very little so that they became edible And so the problem is, you know, your question is a very complex one because it's easy to save potato seeds, let them go to, let them flower. 
The flowers look just like tomato flowers or other flowers in the nightshade family. And so what happens after you see a tomato flower? You get a little tomato-like fruit, right? So potatoes produce little fruits that look just like little yellow tomatoes, usually the ones I've done. And you can then process those the way you do tomatoes, or you can just cut them open and get the seeds out and let them dry or whatever. So it's easy, easy, easy to save potato seed. Hold right? on. You're, you're actually talking about potatoes making a seed rather than growing them from potatoes? Right. Oh, see, yeah. I didn't know that. What? Yeah, no, they're a nightshade family. And if you let the plant go to seed, it has a flower. And the flower looks just like a tomato flower. Mm -hmm. all, all sorts of different colors. I've been in Central America where there were big purple, beautiful flowers. If I, and I, Joseph Lofthouse is listening, I would select for the purple flower colors. I just think nice. they're spectacular. Yep. And then they all produce seeds. Now, the problem is the word true. Will that seed produce the exact same potato that's underneath it? Probably not. Why not? Because it's a hybrid, all right? It has never been allowed to be grown and save the seeds from the ones you like, grown, save the seeds from the ones you like for eight to 10 generations to stabilize those lines as we talk about yeah. in order to make the seeds more true. Personally, I don't care about true. So that might be a fun adventure. The reason why people get potatoes from little potatoes is that they know they're going to get the same thing. Right, exactly. That's the only reason. We do that with a number of different plants. Yeah, amen to that. So, Deb, potatoes and tomatoes are both in the same family. Right. So, she, um, and, uh, so and what Bill was saying was that they flower the same way. And potatoes make a little, a little small little round thing that looks like a tomato that that's where yeah. the seeds come from all right there yeah. we go lisa wants to know would a potato seed produ produce in the same year it is planted oh that's a really good cut some do some don't yeah some don't produce really good roots to eat i mean you get all sorts of diversity starts to come back out again yeah all right now, we got two more. johnny's johnny selected seeds a number of years ago 20 years ago embarked on a big project to sell true potato seeds. And if you go on the internet and look, there are people that claim that they're selling them. So, you know, you can buy seeds and, and maybe they've done a lot of the work. I don't know, I haven't checked lately. Yeah, all right, I got two questions here that, and then we're gonna sign off because we've right. been going almost an hour. Felicity says, I am growing my grandmother's Egyptian walking onions. They have been growing in this area since at least the 1980s. I would like to plant some ornamental alliums, purple sensation or gladiator, but would I mess up the walking onions? Please help as I have not been able to find the answer to this question. No. Okay. Walk, walking onions reproduce by forming a little onion on top of when the plant dies off in the fall, it falls over and that little bulb that's on the top can then plant itself. And that's uh, why they call them walking. Because you can it. start with one plant in the middle and depending on the direction they go, they walk out into concentric circles. If left uh, totally alone and so you, have the space. So you fuzzed out right there at the beginning. Say uh, again how they do that. Well, they produce, instead of using sexual reproduction to produce seeds to uh, reproduce themselves, 
they just grow a little bulb on the top of each uh, onion stalk, okay? And that's a perfect clone of the onion that's below it. Mm-hmm. And in the fall, that will fall over and plant the little bulb if you do nothing. Or you can clip them all off and give them to your friends and plant them if you need to. Oh, oh, and oh. So, I'd like some of those to try and plant them here. Well, guess what? I think uh, North and South Carolina are the center of the world for genetic diversity and walking onions. There are more of them within oh, wow. 100 miles of where you are probably than any other place in the world. And if you go to Southern Exposure Seed Company, you can see the different categories because they call some potato onions, Egyptian walking. There's all sorts wow. of different variations of this. So, you know, Short answer, no. Your ornamental alliums are not going to mess them up because you're not using seeds anyway. Perfect. There you go. Felicity said, very helpful. Thank you very much. I knew Bill would know the answer to that when I saw it. So, uh, <laughs> Jerry says, my dad has a place in Wilhoit, Arizona, north of Yarnell, south of Prescott. He's okay. interested in spiderwort, prickly poppy, and Thompson thistle. Do you know a good area to go where it's legal and easy to find these seeds? Usually prickly pear is started from pads. No, In prickly words, poppy. Never used, oh, what's prickly that? poppy. It was oh. spiderwort, prickly poppy, and Thompson thistle. They're all, you could get into trouble trying to sell or export the seeds to any of those. Really? Why? And theoretically, legally, somebody could show up at your uncle's doorstep and slap his hand for growing noxious weeds. Because uh, at least two of those, I think, are on the Arizona noxious weed list. But to answer the question is that there are a million acres in all directions. Uh, Prescott. Where you c- nobody is going to care if you're collecting the seeds to those plants. Jerry says, aren't they native? Uh, native is a whole nother show. Is it native before uh, horses were brought to the Southwest, before cattle grazing or after? Those, that's the first question. Native doesn't mean anything to me. They are naturalized and abundant to the point of being noxious. Yes. Cool. Uh, Nathan, and this will be our, our wrap question tonight. How many varieties are needed to create a good Grex? I know, Um, before you answer, you're going to say the more the better? I don't know. No, I don't know. Okay. Um, The the only one I know that is for sale commercially is the three-beat Grex. And you can Mm -hmm. Google that up. There's a number of seed companies. That's one of Alan Capular, the gentleman I was speaking of one of his original creations and that was started with three different beats that was his number again an old heirloom something adapted locally and a hybrid were used to create his uh three beat grex i believe i may there it is. my there memory it is. may not be serving me southernexposure.com three yeah. root grex five grams Open pollinated variety of a mix of beets with two shades of red and a really bright orange one. Red roots are three to four inches and round, while the orange roots are long, larger and more elongated. 
And I would say if you save seeds, it's still evolving. Gives you a lot of diversity to save your own thing. Deb, we talked about what a Grex was. Basically, it's just a combination of seeds. Just, you know, get 16 different kinds or three different kinds or 30 different kinds of lettuce and put it in a cup and then go plant it for the to to harvest the seeds from to get the genetic diversity. There may be traits, genetic traits that would flower in your garden mm -hmm. and help you survive. So another general answer to that question is before supply lines are shortened further, before uh. inflation makes things more expensive, get as much diversity as you can now into your garden. And if that means planting 34 different kinds of lettuce at once, like I did, then yes, get as much diversity in there as you can find. The, th the ones that don't work will be gone anyway. And it's really, and maybe you can eat them on their way out. Yeah, they're, right, eat them on their way out. Um, still eating. Right, exactly, you still got food to eat. I just posted a note for Seed School Online. One of the things we do at Urban Farm U is we go in, in depth and teach this stuff. And uh, our first online course uh, that we still offer is Seed School Online that Bill created and Bill and I recorded. Well, we started giving it, dang, almost a decade ago. Wow. Online. I know, right? Time flies. Tell us a little bit about Seed School. Give me just one minute about Seed School and why somebody should consider it. Well, you know, it is, uh, we need millions of seed savers. There's about 150 million gardeners in America and very few seed savers. And the way things are going, I think we'd have uh, things would be nicer for all of us. We'd be more healthy and our and for sure our environment would be healthier and we would have a more resilient food system if Big we time. had more people taking advantage of this magic adaptation that plants support us. And so I've always been trying to do this. And so it started with a 10-day program, went to a six-day program, went to a seed school in a day, and then we condensed all the best of that that we learned from doing these programs and getting feedback, doing them and getting feedback, doing them and getting feedback. Put all that together in condensed online version. So that's where it came from. Took a whole lifetime of playing around and 10 years of trying to teach to get it into that package so does it teach nice. you everything no but you'll be confident that you'll yep. know where to go to learn what you need after that right the other thing is that i just want to do a shout out for we do a lot of free stuff at urban farm U, and if you go to urbanfarm.org forward slash donate you can uh you know throw a little love our way for you know all this great work that we do here and so seed school is great. And, you know, if you want to jump into seed school, that's great. Or go to urbanfarm.org forward slash donate. If you want to throw a little love our way, the link is in the chat. And if you're in the Midwest, I'm going to be teaching for three days at Antioch College Ooh. In, in August 11th, 12th, 13th, I think, or the 12th, 13th, 14th. That's it. On grain so, school, all that, right? Yeah, it's a grain school. And so nice. you can uh, Google up that if you want a live version of that's the only live thing I'm doing in the foreseeable future until yeah. this fall. And in, in October, I'm doing a, a seed school, grade school, one day program in Rimrock, Arizona. You mean in person? 
in person because we do these live. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us, Bill. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. It's uh, always, I love this. We, I get to catch up with you at least once a month and uh, yeah. 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 We'll be seeing you soon. Hopefully. All right. Right. Oh yes, you will. <laughs> Have right. fun, everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit denalicanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.